We're going through a series right now, the book of Ruth. It's been expository by nature, but let me say this about the book of Ruth. Hopefully, if, if you're new this morning, you'll go back and listen to previous messages. Go to harvestchristianfellowship.org and listen to the messages here because we're pulling out a lot of truths from God. And one of those truths is this. Is God really interested in our free will or is everything just predestined? Have you ever just lived your life thinking possibly um, this was just predestined to happen? It's dangerous because I don't necessarily believe that. <laughs> this is what I believe. I believe God basically operates through two things going on. One is the free will of man, meaning that your heart needs to be in a place of saying yes so that you can hear and see God move in your life, and that moves you on to a place of the providential hand, meaning that things will happen in your life that God intended to happen in your life. And I see that working out in my own life. I shared three weeks ago when we began this sermon series that in my own life, I had to come to a place where my heart was saying yes to God. And I have to keep it there in order for me to allow God to plant those seeds in me and those seeds will grow, and as they grow, I begin to see more and more the providential hand of God working in my life. And you know what I know about that? That means I'm working in the kingdom of God. You know what the kingdom of God is? Romans 14 explains the kingdom of God as this. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I've got to where, that's, that's what I ask people when they come in for counseling. I say, I'm not a counselor. I mean, if you're coming to me, you're messed up. <laughs> but let me ask you this. Do you have righteousness, peace, and joy in your life? Probably not if you're here, right? So let's talk about how we come to that place in our life, and we come to that place by keeping our hearts hearing God as good soil where he can plant the seed of his good news, the gospel, the good news in us where we can see incredible things happen in little old me. And that's what happens basically in the book of Ruth. So here we go. In the book of Ruth, remember, it's, it's kind of written as an allegory. And as you look at this allegory, meaning that it's truth, it happened, but it also parallels our life. And there are a lot of meanings in the book of Ruth. It starts with a man by the name of Elimelech. Elimelech is a man, his name means he knew God. So here's Elimelech who knew God, and he was at Bethlehem participating with the Israelites. Bethlehem means this. It means the bread, all right, the bread of life, the house of bread, and he leaves the house of bread. Okay, so here's Elimelech who basically grew up in church. He knows God. He knows about God. But he decides he's going to take him and his family away from the house of bread, away from life, and live life on his own, but his two sons die, and so does he, all right? And I talk about his, the names of his sons and, and, and basically how they parallel basically death, right? And then there's Naomi. Now, Naomi is Elimelech's wife, and her name means this, gracious one, and Ruth, her daughter-in-law, who has now lost her husband, says, hey, I'm going to go with you. And we talked about this over the last couple of weeks. And so she said, where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. And now we're embarking on a journey back into Bethlehem. They show up in Bethlehem at a time known as the sheaf of first fruits, meaning that before you could eat anything of the fields, they had to, a priest had to take 
one of the grain heads before the Lord, and it had to be approved, and that would redeem the rest. Now, to make that allegory, that allegory I want you to, to think about Christ for a minute. The first fruit that redeemed the rest of mankind came from the house of bread and said these words, I am the bread of life. You see, I don't know where your journey's led you over the past years in your life. Maybe you're just getting started. Maybe, maybe you feel like you've already arrived. But let me tell you, there's danger in leaving the house of bread. Of leaving Christ and leaving Christ's will for your life. There's danger in that. We need to stay where we can be fed. Ruth jo, jo, just so happens, right, to wind up in the fields of Boaz. Now, Boaz, his name means alacritus. So this is a man who puts his hand to the plow and he goes to work. And he's been successful. And he's full of providence. And so Boaz has the ability to help the poor as well as the rich. He's, he's great with his hired hands, so to speak. As a matter of fact, the scripture says this, that he approaches his hired hands this way. He tells them, praise be to God. Or may the Lord our God bless you. Right? Blessings of our God upon you, rest upon you. So here we go. We're going to jump in today because today's title of the message is how to get a man. And I should have everyone's attention. All right? Because some of you grew up knowing how to get a boy, hoping one day he would grow up and be a man. Some of you are simply boys who shave. Yeah. And, and, and so in saying that, I know I'm, I'm kind of... I'm creating some tension, and I intend on doing that. As a matter of fact, this part of my message is called the tension part. See, here's the thing. Years ago, I remember a commercial on TV that said this. I can bring home the bacon, fry it up in a pan, and never, never let you forget you're a man because I'm a woman. Right, I think Bruce Jenner sings it today. But anyway, <laughs> just kidding. All right. I remember the commercial vividly, vividly. But a woman definitely needs a man in her life. And unfortunately, look, there's not much direction in our culture today for young women or young men to find direction, true direction. Young women, many of you feel like you've got to weigh a certain amount. You've got to wear a certain kind of clothing to include yoga pants. All right, that you have to have a tan so you can show it off in your underwear slash bikini. I know, it's tension part of the sermon. Maybe you should get a lift here, a lift there. That may be what culture is telling you. You see, we tend to believe the lie of the culture that we need to leave little to the imagination when it comes to attracting a man. Now, women, I want you to hear something very quickly that I'm going to say. I mean, quickly means quicken your ears to hear this. A man's strongest element of attraction from a young man to an old man, watch this, watch this, is the imagination. His imagination is the most powerful thing driving him oftentimes because we dream. We're visual, right? But we don't need to see you take it off. We need to see you put it on and leave more to the imagination. It's a live culture that you have to take it off. That you've got to wear a certain kind of makeup, carry a certain kind of purse, shake it till you shake it off. Right? 
I'm amazed at the lack of self-confidence and self-worth in our culture today in both young women and young men. Hey, look, this is not new. I blame the flappers. But things have changed in our culture. I'm a child of the 80s. Come on, church. I mean, George Michael. Boy George. I mean, don't name your kid Michael or George. Or I don't know what I meant by that. The Go-Go's, right? I, I grew up with songs that were titled, I Want Your Sex. That was George Michael, right? I grew up hearing all kinds of things and, and thinking, uh, not, not, not necessarily even realizing what was being said, right? Baby got back. What? <laughs> I could go on, but I'll kill myself in this message. I'll get in a hole I can't get out of. So we better get in the scriptures and try to redeem the rest of my message. Because our God is a God of redemption. Ruth chapter 3 verse 1 says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? So here's Naomi. She's the mother-in-law. Remember, she doesn't have a husband. Elimelech died. So she's speaking to her daughter-in-law who is like a daughter who is sold out to her. Her name is Ruth. And she says, hey, I want to seek out security for you. So Naomi seeks for her daughter-in-law a better life, one in which she has a husband that will care and provide for her. Now, is Boaz our kinsman with whose maids you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. That's what verse 2 says. So look at this for just a moment. Now, is not Boaz our kinsman? Now, if we were to read this, if our culture was to read this, this is what they would say, oh, no. She's going to marry her cousin. That's not healthy unless you're in West Texas, you know. I'm just teasing. I'm in West Texas. All right? Allison is not my cousin. But here's, here's, that's how our culture would see this, but, I, but there's so much more to what's going on because this word kinsman actually comes from kinsman redeemer. It, it comes from the Hebrew term known as this, goel, and it designates one who will deliver or rescue or redeem property or a person. So what she's saying is, I know the one who can redeem not only you, but me and our family. It's Boaz. Right? 1 Timothy 5.8 says this, and this is kind of going off track for just a minute, but I just want you to see where Boaz is found. Boaz is found on the threshing floor, meaning this, that this wealthy man, this wealthy farmer, finds himself at a place where he is still working. He's not looking to, to stop working. He's on the threshing floor, and that's a dirty place to be. And he's over here winnowing, meaning that he's tossing it up in the air. He's letting the shaft blow off. He's probably covered up in, in trash. He's probably itching. But he's working. He's a good man. He keeps his hand to the plow. Every woman wants a good, hardworking, focused, determined man. A man who is full of alacrity. Which, like I said, is what Boaz's name means. It's a terrible thing when a man's not that to begin with. 1 Timothy 5.8, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Five years ago, that scripture was given to me by a man who was very disappointed that I had chosen to plant 
Harvest Christian Fellowship or to come along with, alongside Harvest Christian Fellowship and step out. And I remember um, teaching with seven of you in a house. That's where we started. And, and I was struggling, and I remember a couple, I mean, I was living with my in-laws, and they're some of the sweetest people I know. But I was broken. I, I was telling Allison just the other day, we shared this story, that I just stayed on my knees the first day everybody left for work, and I'm at my in-laws. My kids are at school. I, I'm just like, this is, this is where I wound up. This is the providential hand of God. I thought I was saying yes. Right, And I cried all day, and then I tried to dry it up before the kids got home. It was a tough time in my life. And then on top of that, I have a man who gives me this scripture and says, hey, you know, it's worse for you if you die not providing for your kids. It's worse than an unbeliever. Read this in 1 Timothy 5.8. I was at a low place, and I just had to lean upon God and keep my hand to the plow and continue to push forward and work. Verse 3, wash yourself therefore. So here she is telling her daughter-in-law, I want you to go and wash yourself. Anoint yourself. Put on your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. So this is what she's saying. Hey, Ruth, you're still young. You're widowed at a young age, but you're still young. You still have some wonderful attributes. Right, and, and I want you to see that in yourself. So she's trying to help her. You know, it's important that we understand why Jesus gave us a commandment. The Old Testament gave us a commandment to honor your father and your mother. And she sees her like a daughter, and, and she's going to honor her by doing what her mother says. She knows best. And so this mother's looking in basically into her daughter-in-law's eyes, but it's like looking into her daughter's eyes. And she says, look, go fix yourself up because you look kind of homely. Remember the title of the message? Show this man something other than sweat on your brow, the dirt under your fingernails, the grease in your hair, the smell of your breath. Look, it's time to take a little pride in yourself. Women, there's nothing wrong with fixing yourself up. Naomi is attempting to help her put on that nice dress and some of that Chanel 5, whatever it takes. <laughs> Clean up. You're worth something. You are worth something. And, and, and she's trying to help her understand that. Look, I know, you, do you understand where she's at at this time in her life? I mean, Ruth basically is a Moabite, which were enemies of the Israelites, She's in a foreign land. She's gleaning the fields, watch, and it puts her less than the slaves. Remember, Boaz has to come in and tell his people, hey, treat her like one of the slaves. That's, that's a, that was a promotion. And so now he's saying, now her mother-in-law is telling her, saying, hey, now I want you to fix up because God has a providential plan for your life. Submit to me and listen because you will gain and you will grow. And great things are to come. Verse 4. And it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies. And you shall go uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will tell you what you shall do. And I love this because it says, And Ruth said to her, All that you say I will do. And it happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled and bent forward. And behold, a woman was lying at his feet. Oh my God. Who put her there? Right? He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maid, so spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. Now, this takes some explaining. Because most of us grew up 
in this American culture, and we would look at this and say, oh my goodness, that's a salacious act. What is she doing down there at the end of the bed, all dressed up, looking good, smelling good? And this man wakes up, and he's like, hey, what is this, right? But she got his attention, and that's exactly what Naomi wanted Ruth to do, to take a bold action, Right? Ruth's action of lying at Boaz's feet is an act of demonstrating her willingness to submit herself to his leadership, to his headship. Ruth says to Boaz that she is his servant. Secondly, she uses an expression used in Scripture that speaks to one's ability to cover you, or you could say it this way, a place of sheltering. She says to Boaz, spread your wings or garments over me, redeem me and my family, basically is what she's saying. There's a blind man by the name of Bartimaeus found in Scripture crying out to Jesus, and the disciples are trying to hush him. You remember it well, I'm sure, if you've, if you've read the New Testament. And it's interesting to me because it says when Bartimaeus got up, that he dropped his cloak and got up. In the New Testament, or, or on over into the book of of Romans, what we see is Paul explaining this by putting off the old self and putting on the new. See, it's important to understand that that what we are to put on, what we're to, 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 to spread over, what she's asking for is, look, I want a new identity. And you have the opportunity to give that to me, Boaz. You can give that to me and my family. You can protect us. You can redeem me. See, she then states why she has taken this action. Because Boaz is basically a kinsman redeemer who has the power to redeem her and the family of Elimelech, Malon, and Chilion. See, I want to take a moment just to visit with you concerning the biblical paradigm for how people should pursue relationship with one another. You know, most men, when I have a couple in front of me, I say, hey, do you all know anything about marriage? Do you know what the Scripture says about marriage? And the man always has a verse nailed down. Ephesians 5.21, right? Wives, submit therefore to your husbands as unto the Lord. I shared this in the early service. I'll share it with you. I once was counseling a couple and, and the wife, she was so sharp. And this is what she said. She said, if my husband acted like the Lord, I would submit to him. But he's got none of that going for him, you know? And I understand that, but Ephesians, does anyone read Ephesians 5.20 and what it says? Therefore, submit to one another. See, there's, a, there's an act of submission that's, that's taking place here. You've got Naomi, who is, is a mother who loves her daughter-in-law. And, and her daughter-in-law is submitting to Naomi and her advice for her. She's also willing to go and submit to Boaz, the alacritous one, the one who has the ability to provide for her and her family. And in ultimately doing that, she is submitting to the Lord. See, in Genesis, we're told something. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Have you ever read that? Okay. Of course you have, because every January, you say, I'm going to read the Bible all the way through. And you start with Genesis, and you see that right off the bat, right? Now, you may not make it all, you know, till March, but you've seen this because you've done it time and time again because I've done it time and time again. But it says, for this reason, a man will leave his wife or will leave uh, his father and mother, right? So the man is called to leave. 
Here's why. Because boys need to grow up into men and establish their own household. Here's what I'm calling you to do, men. Lead them. It's okay. It's all right. I know you wives are out there saying, man, you don't know what you just said because he'll lead me straight to the devil. Anyway, don't follow him to the devil, but help him, encourage him. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. That means that they will step out. But this is the love that God has for women that they would never be without protection, that they would never be without covering. It is God's will and design that this precious creature known as woman would be taken care of for the rest of her life. I love that. It's a beautiful picture of a boy needing to grow up and a woman understanding that she doesn't need to marry a boy but a man who is willing to establish his own household. And provide and protect. Genesis chapter 2, by the way. If you look at Genesis chapter 2, I like this because um, basically when Adam was moved into the garden, he's given two things to do. You know what it is? And he failed, by the way. But he is supposed to protect and keep the garden. To cultivate and keep it. To cultivate means to weed it, to keep it pure, pure, to keep it clean. Now Adam was brought into the garden, but Eve was created out of the garden. So Adam had a responsibility to Eve to protect her from the serpent. And men who have daughters, you have the same responsibility going on in your home. You do. You should have. This is what I tell everybody. Hey, look, when my girls are old enough to court, not date, court simply means the difference between courting and dating is you take your father with you. Okay? And so my girls will be allowed to court and here's what every young man needs to know when they come along. I'm, I'm a pastor, so I can be biblical, right? I don't have to be cultural. And so what every boy needs to understand is when they show up, they're not showing up for her hand, they're showing up for my hand. Because it is my goal early on in their lives that her heart, that their hearts belong to me and are in my hands. And it's the very reason why when I'm asked one day who gives this woman to be married to this man, I hopefully will say her mother and I. But I'm also going to let the pastor know that if he's a boy, then I want you to say who gives this boy or who gives this woman to be married to this boy. And I want to make an example right then and there, right? <laughs> I've done that twice already. But anyway, so there's an importance, there's something going on here. There's not just the act of redemption, there's the act of provision that's happening here for Ruth's life and her family's life. And this is what she's after, right? And so it's by God's design, he's showing us something through the book of Ruth, that it's by his design that he upholds women. He loves women. You know, I'm so tired of what the culture is trying to convince our Christians that, oh, it's just man-led. It's just it's self-centered around manliness, and it's self-centered. It's, it's this God that you serve says that the man has to lead, and the woman has no mind, has no ability to think, and, and they're trying to turn this thing on us. But that's not what it's about. When you really study Scripture, you find out, look, the first ones to witness God, Jesus, and his resurrection were women on purpose. The first time that God shares his divinity as man, right, is to the woman at the well. God loves women, and he cherishes women so much that he looks for men to stand up and quit being boys and be men. 
And men, that means to lead. There are times, Alice and I were talking this week, you know, there have been times where Alice and I, I, I've literally had to come home and say, we're not doing that. We're not going there. It's not going to be a part of who we are. So let's pray through it together, and let's figure this thing out. We don't have to be angry with one another, but I'm going to lead you in this matter. There have been two or three times in our life. And you know what she'll say? That's right, and I'm okay. I wasn't after. And then there, there was the time that I was asked to come to Harvest and plant a church in Amarillo, and I said no. And two, three months goes by, and I call Allison and say, man, I can't get these people's faces out of my head. I pulled over on the side of the road. I was crying like a baby, like a boy. I'm just kidding. Okay, men cry too. And I said, babe, I think we were supposed to go. She said, I knew that. Why didn't you speak up? Well, you're supposed to be the leader. You know, I don't know. It's true, we've got to work together, we've got to submit to one another, but I want you to hear something today that God cherishes you women. He loves you and you are precious in His eyes. So much so. So here we go, let's jump back in. So basically, as we look at, at how God is providing here for Ruth and her family, I, I, I love this part, Ruth Chapter 3, verse 10. Then he said, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than your first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, Boaz takes notice. He understands she is a young woman. This man's considerably older. I'm sure he's balding. Well, some of us lose our hair quicker than others, right? Amen. <laughs> Thanks, Terry. And so, so but, but here's what he says. He says, hey, you know, there, there's all kinds of men out there, right? You can go to Midnight Rodeo and find out, but you chose not to, right? And he said, you are blessed. And, and this is interesting to me because he says, you have shown your last kindness. The Hebrew word there is hased, meaning that this last kindness is greater than your first. We talked about the word hased. It's a selfless love. It's a selfless giving of one. And so he, he says, hey, your last kindness is greater than your first. Ruth was not a player, nor did she hang out with players. She didn't want to marry a player. So it's not a salacious act, but an act of loyal, faithful love. This is where she was. Verse 11, now my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask. For all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. Look, she was the lowest person. On the totem pole, she, she limped into Bethlehem, the house of bread. She was an enemy. She was a Moabite. But I want you to see her character gave notice of who she was. That's amazing to me. She's supposed to be the enemy. She's supposed to be all these other things. She's already labeled when she comes into the city. Many of us feel like we are already labeled because of our past. And we identify with our past instead of God being our future. But here she comes to the house of bread. Here she winds up in, in Boaz's field. And she's been gleaning and notice something. Her character speaks far louder than her words. Women, man, I've seen so many of you where your character speaks so much louder than your words. You're incredible. She was incredible. And this is what Boaz says. Hey, you are a woman of excellence. Everyone has seen that upon you. Now, it is true I'm a close relative. However, there's a relative closer than I. And this is what he's saying. Someone has talked to him about this woman gleaning in the field. 
Now love this, right? And he said, this guy's probably interested. Probably got a little something for you. But then verse 13, remain this night, and when morning comes, if he will redeem you, good. Let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you. As the Lord lives, lie down until morning. So he has her lie down, and I, I, I'm not trying to write into the story, but I am. This is not an apocryphal act. I'm just trying to, trying to say, hey, um, probably he went and had, a, had words with this other guy and said, hey, you know, she is looking to be provided for. Can you do it? And this boy becoming a man had the realization that I probably can't. Probably not ready. No problem. I got it. I'll do it. I'm going to take care of her. Her character goes before her. Right? So here's the free will of man and the providence of God at play in their lives with Ruth and her family. Young women, wherever you are today, and you may not even be young, Maybe you're widowed. Maybe you're older in life. I don't know. But here's, here's one thing I know. Keep your heart in a place where God can continue to ride on it. And as you do that, you will see God's provision work out in your life. If, if it is intended for you to have a man, I want you to hear something. He's preparing him. He may still be a boy, right? And, and, and being equipped to become a man. So what do you do in the meantime? In the meantime, learn to submit Submit to God through your free will. Align yourself to the providential hand of God. Begin to have your heart say yes every single day. I shared the important story of one of the most difficult times in my life in HUD housing, out of the military. Um, I feel like I, I'm Rambo. You know, he's just wandering through the town saying, what in the world am I going to do? And then even the sheriff tries to kick him out, Right? And, and my parents showed up, and my parents always uh, just, just provided an atmosphere for me to grow, to work, to be successful. But they didn't make me be successful. It was not an inheritance there. And so, so basically what they did is just prepared the soil, and, and they came up and they said, hey, Curtis, you know, you're going through a hard time and everything, and that's when mom gave me the sign. She said, I just want you to look at this every day. And that sign says, yes, Lord. And it's still by my mirror. Young women, that's what you do because that's where you submit yourself and you have your heart in a place for God to write. Because I want you to hear something. From the very first of creation, he wanted you to be protected and provided for. Men, if you can't take care of yourself, you have no business dating and messing someone else's life up with yours. Period. You're going to learn. You're going to have direction. You're going to move forward. Now, I understand if you're sick or, or there's some things going on. I understand that. Your character will speak louder than your sickness. So you've got to move forward in that. You've got to submit yourself to the mighty hand of God. You've got to have your heart ready for God to ride on it so that you can move forward and those around you can move forward with you. So what we've seen in Ruth is this, is how she submitted to Naomi, submitted to Boaz, and in effect submits to God and unknowingly aligns herself with the providence of God. See, the exercise of our free will and submission to God's will will align ourselves to his providence in our life. Our lives will be fruitful, and they will multiply, and great things will happen. The second thing is, is begin to learn your free will and manage your free will. In other words, clean up. Put some makeup on the barn, is how Pastor Paul says it. That's okay. It's okay to clean ourselves up. 
to look the part, to dress for success, but also to clean up our spiritual side where we're cleaned up spiritually, where we know who we are in Christ, and anyone who tries to violate that will pay the consequences because I am not for sale. You see, practice our free will. See, we see what happens when we submit to God's will for our life and when we don't. One leads to a positive end and the other doesn't. It's the principle of the path. Allow God to sow good seeds in you so that one day you will reap a wonderful harvest. Do you know how rewarding it is for a man who loves his wife, who has established his home, and for that wife to come home and see beautiful kids scattered throughout the house? It's chaotic, but it's beautiful. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full in every aspect in their life. God desires that for each and every one of us, for the women in the house, but also for the men in the house. And men, I want you to hear something from me right now. We need fathers in the house because the world is not perfect. You see, if you really study Ruth, what you find out is this is brokenness. There's not a father. There's not even a father-in-law in the picture. So the house has to become the direction in a broken world. The house of bread here. We want to be your direction. We want to help equip, sustain, equip the saints for service, sustain, create momentum, move us all forward into a place where truly we have successful marriages and people's lives are fulfilled so that our light shines so brightly the world is attracted to God and His kingdom. So here we are. Submit and use your free will. Discipline your free will. Disciple your free will. And watch God's providential hand provide for you in ways you never thought were imaginable.